0: Okay, so I have a favorite missionary. His name is Adairiam Judson. Uh, he is the first missionary to Burma. Uh, he went when he was 24. He, he took his new bride with him. Her name was Nancy. She was 23. Um, on their way to Burma, they stopped in India, and William Carey, who is the father of modern-day missions, uh, the first missionary to India, uh, they, he grabs Adiram, grabs him, and says, Do not go to Burma. It's too dangerous. Uh, but he goes anyway with his new bride. Uh, as they land on the shore, he literally <laughs> jumps out of the ship, And runs up to the first Burmese person he can find, this first Burmese man, and hugs him. He's so excited and he's so motivated to take the gospel to them. Historical documents, records say that that man went home, beelined it to his house, went up to his family and said, I just met an angel. Shortly after being there, the locals started calling him Mr. Glory Face. Because he was so wide open, and loving and welcome. And something was different about him. FYI, it took six years of preaching the gospel in Burma for one person to come to know Jesus. So, according to today's modern mission standards, church growth standards, ministry effective standards, and celebrity pastor standards, Adorayim and Nancy are Failures. Not long after their arrival, uh, Adarayam is imprisoned. Uh, Burmese prisons at that time were hell holes on earth. You were tortured. Um, You were marched through the jungle from prison hole to prison hole. Uh, They did not feed you. So if you were to survive, if you had a family or anybody that cared about you, they had to bring food to you to keep you alive. So, for almost two years, Nancy somehow provides food for her husband. Now, get this, this. During that two years, she's pregnant. During that two years, she gives birth to their baby, Maria. And so, for two years, pregnant with baby, she is moving through the jungles from prison to prison somehow Keeping her husband alive. She's a warrior. The guards, they were in awe of her. Eventually, almost two years later, Adariam is set free. He lives, right? But at great cost. Exhausted, depleted, sick with fever, Nancy suffers and dies. A couple weeks later, Maria, their newborn, suffers and dies. Um, Over the next two years, Adoram Judson, Mr. Gloryface, simply disappears. He sinks into the darkness. At one point, he digs a grave right next to the two graves of the two people he loved the most in the world. Dug his own grave and waited to die. Oh, God, I'm done. At this point, he actually wrote down in his own grave these words. God, to me, is the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Suffering. Suffering. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. 1 Peter, verses 3 through 9, and then 512. 512, we're putting at the end of all the scripture reading because Peter is just basically telling you this is why I wrote the book. So just in case we forget, we're going to hear it every Sunday or when it's time for Peter, because next week we'll be back in Jonah, why he wrote the book. Do not, did I say 1 Peter 3? Oh my word. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, scratch that, listen to me. (laughs) That is me. That's not them, that's on me. So here you go. You just have to look at me and listen to me, you lucky people. Here you go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point, if it was up there. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who are you? You who are, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revealing or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, I thank you that your words um, have divine energies and you have your own agenda here this morning and we're so grateful that you do. I pray that you would fill us, all of us here with your Spirit, and speak us back to life again. Um, We need to be spoken back to life again. Amen. Suffering. Look at verse 6. Uh, I'm going to read it. You're going to have to listen again. In this, you rejoice though. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So in Jonah, Jonah is about what? Storms, storms that come at us, storms that come out of us. First Peter is about suffering. In other words, storms cause suffering. The Apostle Peter is writing to suffering churches. The Apostle Peter is writing to suffering Christians. The various trials, right? Those are the storms. But they grieve us. Sometimes Bible experts, though, when they get to 1 Peter, it's interesting. If you read all the commentaries, the scholars, the Bible experts, uh, they over-educate themselves. And in their over-educating communication they can minimize what's happening in 1 Peter. They'll say things like this. The historical context of the Apostle Peter's first epistle to the Roman churches scattered about the empire is that of great discomfort. Uh, this would be much more accurate. The churches and Christians in First Peter are sitting in their own grave. God to me is the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Suffering. So what is suffering? What is that? What is this phenomenon? Suffering. You have been grieved. That's in the text. It's in verse 6. Here's what it means. According to the ancient lexicons of the original language, To cause severe mental or emotional distress, it's the emotion of grief, the emotion of misery. End quote. Notice, unlike Jonah, Peter's not focusing on the various trials, the storms. He's focusing on the suffering they bring. You have been grieved, severe mental, emotional. Misery. (laughs) Strangely, on Tuesday, I'm riding the Peloton. Right? The trainer, or the life coach, or the motivational speaker, or the psychiatrist, psychologist, mental health expert, or the activist, or revolutionary, or the pastor, peppy person, and person that's an expert of everything looks into the camera and looks at me and asks, are you suffering or are you growing? Oh, I can't reach through that camera. A famous megastar, ministry leader, preacher, author, Bible expert writes a best-selling book called Don't Waste Your What? Pain. Life, too. It's the second installment. You have been grieved, suffering. Are you suffering or are you growing right now? Are you wasting your pain? Please hear what I'm about to say. If you do, it might change your life. You always waste your pain. This whole passage, verses 3 through 9, which I wish you could have seen. It's really good. Is one long sentence. If you have your Bibles your electronic device, just look at 3 through 9. That's one long sentence. This is a a long, run-on sentence. You know what that means? It means there's only one main verb in the whole passage. One main verb, you Greek or you grammar geeks like me. But this is what's incredible. See if you can find the one main verb. If you have your electronic device, you have the book. See if you can find it. Give you a moment. You're wrong. I want you to go to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. So the one main verb of this incredible long passage is a be verb, the weakest verb of them all. And not only that in the original language, it's not even given. It's implied. So it goes from adjective to God. Blessed. And so the translation puts in be You know what this means? Do you see what's going on? This is breathtaking. This is absolutely incredible. There's not one command. In verses 3 through 12, we're just going to 9. That means there's no rejoice in your suffering. There's no prove the genuineness of your faith. There's no pass The pain trial. There's no choose growth, not suffering. There's no love him though you don't see him. There's no rejoice exceedingly joyful amidst your suffering. In other words, there's no choose growth over pain. There's no don't waste your pain in this whole text. None of it. Absolutely. Why are there no commands here? The answer is absolutely breathtaking because it's not about you and because it's not about you and because it's not about me, it absolutely is about us. It's incredible. We think we've got to find us in a text in order for it to actually reach us, but the Bible says because it's not about you, it reaches you. Look at verse four. If you got your text, An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. By nature, you are perishable. That means by nature, you are dying. By nature, you are defiled. What that means is that you're stained by sin, you are permanently curved in on yourself. By nature, you are fading. What that means is you're diminishing, it means that you are always moving towards nothingness, you are always decreating. By nature. And don't miss this. By nature, your relationships, your home, your church, your work, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your sports, your art, your music, your culture, your city, your country is perishing, defiled, fading away. Why no commands? Because you always waste your pain. Because the world you live in always wastes its pain. It's wasting away. You have been grieved, suffering. Are you suffering or growing? Don't waste your pain. You always waste your pain. But God, it's incredible, does not waste your pain. Do you see what's going on? It's incredible. If you look at verses 3 through 5, Peter's praising God in his pain. How can he be doing that? How can he be praising God in his pain? Answer, because God doesn't waste his pain. In verses six and seven, Peter's trusting God in his t- pain. How can he be trusting God in his pain? Answer, because God doesn't waste his pain. In verses eight and nine, Peter's rejoicing in God in his pain. How can he be rejoicing in God in his pain? Answer, because God doesn't waste his pain. Peter's praising, trusting, rejoicing in God in his pain because it's not about him, it's all about God. And because it's all about God not wasting his pain, he actually can praise him. Because if it was about him not wasting his pain, he knows, you know, the world knows, he's the worst Christian that ever lived. There's nothing here in Peter to praise, to trust, to rejoice in. This is incredible. The reason, here it is, The reason we praise so little, trust so little, rejoice so little in our suffering is because we do think it's about us. Are you suffering or growing? It's about you. Don't waste your pain. It's about you. But there's incredible hope here. There's incredible power here. There's actually the power To praise God is in this text. The power to trust God is in this text. The power to rejoice in God is in this text. Peter is saying, when you get that God doesn't waste your pain, oh my, I praise you, God. Oh my, I trust you, God. Oh my, there's a deeper magic in my suffering, God. You have been grieved suffering. Are you suffering or growing? Don't waste your pain. You always waste your pain. But God doesn't waste your pain. Now, some of you are thinking, that's the point of the whole passage. You got it. God doesn't waste your pain. What's the take home? God doesn't waste your pain. That's why you can praise him. That's why you can trust him. That's why you can rejoice in him. Okay, Jeff, great, fantastic. I get it. That's a little different than I came in thinking. I'm kind of tantalized by the intellectual reality of that, but how do I feel this? Because my suffering is because of my sin, Jeff. How are you going to deal with that one? I'm not suffering because I'm this great Christian that went on a mission trip. I'm suffering because I'm a spiritual loser. The literal translation of verse 3 goes like this. So if you happen to have a copy, you might want to look at this. The comparison's phenomenal. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, so I'm just going to, what I'm doing is I'm teasing out the whole grammar and make it wooden and literal as opposed to blending it so it sounds better and it's easier to hear. That's what translations do. I'm not interested in that, so I want you to hear the woodenness of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, on the basis of his much mercy alone, caused us to be born again. In other words, that's how you become a Christian. You're born again. On the basis of his much mercy alone, caused us to be born again. That's how we became a Christian, to a living hope. That's how you live the Christian life, a living hope. Okay, so mercy in the Bible, get this, mercy in the Bible is only present in the presence of waste. Mercy is only present in the Bible. It only shows up in the Bible in the presence of waste. In the presence of perishing. In the presence of defilement. In the presence of fading away. That's where mercy shows up. And notice it's not just mercy. The text says much mercy. God is literally saying to you right now, the one that is saying, but my suffering is because of my sin. God is literally saying to you right now, I am the unknown God who moves towards you in all your wasting away. God does not waste your pain. Some of you are thinking, but suffering is a waste. After two and a half years of it, I can tell you it is. It's an absolute waste. For two and a half years, I haven't been able to run for fun. What a waste. For two and a half years, I haven't been able to run Tough mutters for the challenge, for the competition. What a waste of two and a half years. For two and a half years, I haven't been able to beat up 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds in a cage or on a mat. What a waste! (laughs) For two and a half years, there's been physical waste, financial waste. What a waste. And perhaps even like the worst part about it, and y'all would never get it. You would have been thinking those other things, I guarantee it. But my wife knows. For two and a half years, I haven't been able to grab my Greek Bible with my .5 millimeter mechanical pencil and my little six-inch golden ruler and hold the Bible and look down, because I can't look down, and look down and just luxuriate in the Greek. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There is a place, (laughs) there is a place where there's not one drop of waste, not one not one. There's also, it's interesting in that verse 6, that 7, there's this thing that gets down that says maybe found. We'll get to that in just a little bit in the next objection. But there's this may be found to result in. So in other words, your suffering results in something. It's incredible. It's weird, but it does. So here's what happens. You get praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, in other words, there's a place where you get everything back. Everything that you lost here, you get back and more. Glory, praise, and honor. It's unbelievable. God does not waste your pain, even though suffering is a waste. Some of you are thinking, but my faith is so weak. I can't praise God like this dude does in this text or these churches do. That's ridiculous. I can't trust him like this. I can't rejoice exceedingly with joy like this. Come on, Jeff. Come on, Pastor. Seriously. Correct, you can't. Your faith is weak, absolutely. But notice who guards your faith. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, for to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who are you? Who, by God's power, are being guarded? This is present tense. So it means who right now, and it literally means who right now are being surrounded By God's power. So Peter is saying in the present tense, you Christians, right now, you are surrounded by divine power. You and your faith constantly, presently, unceasingly, even though you don't see it. In other words... You know what Jesus says to you? I don't have faith. My faith is too weak. Of course it is. But He will never let your faith fail. He will always fuel your faith. It's even better, though, because verse 5 says, Who by God's power are being guarded, again, present tense, through faith, present tense. For salvation, present tense. Did you see what it says, though? It's breathtaking. A salvation ready. A ready salvation. An accomplished salvation. A completed salvation. An achieved salvation. An attained salvation, A purchased salvation, a one salvation. This is incredible. Do you see it? Peter's not saying who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a not ready salvation. In other words, there's a salvation out there, but it still needs your help. There's a salvation out there that still needs some work. There's a salvation out there that still needs someone to discover some new techniques, some new activating points, some new powers, some new wisdoms to make it happen. It's a ready salvation. Christianity, (laughs) becoming a Christian. Christianity, the Christian life. Christianity, the Christian life and suffering is about a ready salvation. Not a not ready salvation. You trust and I trust in something someone else has already done. It's ready. So even your faith, it's not about. Because all faith is doing, it's not about how strong your faith is. Who cares about how strong your faith is? Did he do it or not? Did Jesus accomplish it or not? Is the work finished or not? If it is, if it's a ready salvation, trust it. That's all you're doing. Okay, I trust you. You did it. You're going to deal with my sin. I'm not going to deal with my sin. Oh, you're my righteousness. I'm trusting in you. I'm not going to deal with my righteousness. I don't have faith but you were faithful for me, I can live with that. This is Christianity. But how do you know it's ready salvation? How do you know that? How do you feel this ready salvation when suffering says to you, it's not ready. Of course it's not ready. You're suffering. It's not ready. You're missing something, or you blew it somewhere, because that's why you're suffering. How do you feel a ready salvation? There's only one answer in this text. There's only one answer in this text. There's only one reason in this text. That's it. Are you ready? He rose. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He rose. How do you know He rose? How do I feel it? He rose. Where does my faith come from? He rose. How will He not waste my pain? He rose. When you experience the ready salvation that he rose, you praise God more and more. You trust God more and more. You rejoice in God more and more because he did it. It's not about you, but it is about you. Because it's about him. There's that famous, you know. Everybody does it, so I feel like I, I feel like oh, I was getting down to the end yesterday. I'm like, I think I want to wrap up, and then I'm like, oh, every, you know, I'm gonna have everybody come up or email me or say, you didn't touch on verse six and seven, the famous image of the refiner's fire. So I guess I'm going to do the refiner's fire. So this is the famous image of faith being refined like gold, right? In the fire of suffering. It's just such a sentimental... I mean, we so sentimentalized that I can't stand it. That's why I didn't want to do it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, thanks. I feel so much better. So here's what's happening. But remember how God surrounds you with his power? That's the context of the refiner's fire. Oh you don't see him, but he's there. What? Because when you look at this text, you don't see God. But then even in in the next verses, it says you love him, though you don't see him, so he's there. It's almost like Peter had in mind an Old Testament passage called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who Nebuchadnezzar threw into this mighty, fiery furnace And then Nebuchadnezzar goes, Didn't we throw three dudes in there? And his Praetorian warrior god, guard. Yeah, we threw three. Why are there four? And I think Peter had that in mind, but he didn't want to tell you. But he did. Because he says his power surrounds you. And so, what happens here is that you have this refiner's fire, the sentimental, my faith is getting better, all the dross is going away. Fantastic, great. But there is a master refiner in the fire with you. And he's overriding with his power stuff that sucks. I don't want to ever hear suffering as a good thing because it's never a good thing. But you have a master overriding it, overmastering it, and using it to actually produce genuine faith. And what's genuine faith? Well, we already learned that, didn't we? It's trusting more and more in a ready salvation. He rose. It's trusting less and less in an own, your own works salvation. That's what it is. God does not waste your pain. God to me is the great unknown, he said. I believe in him, but I find him not. Adoratim Judson eventually rose from his grave, and he rose from his grave because of one reason, because of one person, because of one power. He rose. That's the only reason he gives. It's the only way he did Eighteen years later, Adarayam watches in awe as a spiritual awakening hits Burma. He writes, the spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere. Eighteen years later, through the whole length and breadth of the land, we have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but only to those who ask. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, 100 miles north of Ava. Others from the interior of the country where the name of Jesus Christ is a little known. This is the part that gets me. Here's what they say. Are you Jesus Christ's man? Are you Jesus Christ's man? Are you the one we heard about? In other words, you're kind of okay, but you're Jesus Christ's man, right? Right? And then they say, give us a writing that tells us about Jesus. That's Adoram Judson. You have been grieved, suffering. God doesn't waste your pain. He didn't waste Adorim Judson's. It was never good. It never will be good. But he got it all back. Your suffering is not good. It's never going to be good. But you'll get it all back one day. Amen.